In the last episode, I started telling the story of the crazy prayer thing. Back in the summer of 2016, I had resolved that we were going to stay in our house on Fairmount, and I was dead set against moving, dead set against buying a house. And then God laughed and said, hey, there's a house about three blocks away. I want you to enter the process on that house. And oh, by the way, I'm not promising you're even going to get it. This house was an impossibility. There was no way we could afford it. In fact, we were operating in the red. Uh, There is no way we could afford all the repairs that needed to happen. And even when we stepped in faith into the process, we were hit by impossibility after impossibility. Whether it was Miss Barnes, the seller, being unwilling to budge to the possibility that there was dangerous chemicals in the ground that could take hundreds of thousands to rectify. And on December 14th of 2016, we got the call that Miss Barnes was unwilling to budge on the price, unwilling to make any of the repairs. We knew that we did not have the capacity to take care of the repairs. We did not have the money to even purchase the house. And so the deal was dead. Barring a change of heart or a loophole or a work of God, the deal was dead. But of course, we know that God is God and God is good. And he can do the impossible. Thank you for joining us for episode six of the Where Did You See God podcast. So here's the funny thing about how God works. I was at the hardest place in all of this. Everything seemed hopeless. There seemed to not be a way forward. We had already put some money into this process that we could not recoup. And I did not know what God was doing. Why did he call us into a process that was gonna hurt this much and we might not even get the thing we're pursuing? God is funny, y'all. And he works in ways that we don't expect. On December 14th, we had gotten the hard news that the seller wasn't going to budge. And on December 15th, the next day, I got an email from Mary Thompson. And she starts by saying, we will still pray that God's will will be done. What we may see as impossible, I hear him saying to us the same thing that he said to Abraham. Is anything too hard for me? You and Becca have come to a resting point. God knows your heart. So as you continue to seek him, praise him and rest. God will work. But if we are going to work, worry, etc., then God rests. Then she goes on to tell me about an interaction she had. Well, any time anyone would come to the community and wanted to know about New Vision Civic League, I always would take them in that vicinity to show them where we were first meeting at uh, the little church Solomon Temple, which was diagonally from that house. And I remember taking one of the new ministers in the community and we walked uh, around to 21st Street and I showed him the house and he stood in front of the house and he didn't say anything and he said, Miss T, your prayers really have been heard for this house and he said, you know, you just be still because God is preparing that house for the community. So I told him, I laughed, and I said, well, I received that. I don't know how he's going to use that house in the community, but I received that. But he told me that. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I remember you ended up emailing me shortly after 
um, that interaction and you told me that story and yeah. it happened to fall at a really just one of the harder times of the process mm-hmm. where it looked like nothing was going to work out and we had already poured so much of ourselves yeah. into mm-hmm. seeking God in that and that email was timely because yeah. it was it was as though not only was God encouraging you through that interaction with that man, mm-hmm. but then he used the encouragement he gave you to encourage and us you, yes. to trust that mm-hmm. God is at work and he's going to do what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what the situation looks like. It and matters I, be- who God I believe is. that. I mm-hmm. believe that wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. On December 17th, the real estate agent calls Allison to confirm that we are officially coming out of the contract and closing out the process. And Allison explains to her that we don't want to close out. We just don't have any options. And the first option is that the seller would be willing to do the repair. But ultimately, we just need help to actually make the loan go through. We can't make the loan go through with the condition that the house is in. So the real estate agent says, oh, okay, let me try that. And Allison's a little shocked why she didn't realize that it's not us dragging our feet. It's the actual issues with the house. So... On December 21st, she calls Allison back, and I'd written a letter, and uh, the real estate agent says that, um, you know, Mrs. Barnes had really appreciated the letter, really felt for us. Um, Allison gets the sense that maybe there's some wiggle room that's about to open up, Um, but what the real estate agent shares is that Miss Barnes had had some debts that were limiting her, and she needed to sell the house for what she was selling it for in order to take care of some of those debts. So we realized at that point that we had been praying a lot for ourselves and had not been praying a lot for Mrs. Barnes and her situation. So we were really grateful that God had pushed us to write that letter because it opened up that opportunity to connect on a deeper level and to learn how we could come alongside each other in this really crazy process. This is Allison McKinney at Keller Williams Realty, just checking in. Um, to leave a message about the house process, how Paul and Becca found their house that they currently live in. So at key moments during the negotiating process, uh, Paul and Becca would write letters to the seller explaining why they were drawn to the house. Um, Paul began sharing parts of his faith in these letters, and all of us were banking on the seller being a person of faith. Uh, We felt for sure that those letters would speak to her heart and feel like they did. At this time, I also feel like God is calling me to release the house. I I remember having a fire pit on December 27th and just feeling a peace about our home on Fairmount and how God had already provided and we didn't need to move. That if this process were something for something other than us getting a house, that would be fine. Uh, In fact, uh, one of the funny things about the house is it was so close that I could actually see the house from the house we were living in. In fact, every morning... When I was making breakfast, I would look out the kitchen window, and because of how I was oriented, the, the morning sun would illuminate the house before it illuminated anything else, and so it would just be sticking out sometimes like a sore thumb. And I remember feeling like, God, why are you showing me this every morning? And I remember one time seeing it and feeling this, this pain of, if we don't get this house, like, what was the point of all this? And God's like, is the point of all this to get the house? Or is the point of all this for you to seek and chase after me? And I was floored. Well, we entered the new year, still in contract, still with no clear way forward. I mentioned in the last episode that uh, 
our friends Kathy and Rob had been doing a renovation and they were willing to hold on to some things until January. Well, that was in October. And I thought by, by January, we'll want, we'll know one way or another. Well, we didn't. And so I had to take a crazy step of faith. Um, they needed to get all that kitchen stuff and a kitchen table and appliances out of their house one way or another. If I wanted it, I needed to show up on, De- on January 3rd with a U-Haul, load it up, and then store it somewhere. If we got the house, then great. We're going to save tens of thousands of dollars on, this, on our kitchen. If we don't get the house, then I have a kitchen in a garage that is not mine that I have to deal with somehow. Well, I, I feel a nudge from God. Take that step. I rent the U-Haul. I go there. They load it all up. And then fortunately, our, our good friend Kathy Picton, who lives down the street, graciously opened her garage. And I'm like, you just let me know as soon as you need to get all of that out of there. And she's like, as long as you need to use it. I, and so shout out to Kathy Picton, who <laughs> was just a lifesaver. Uh, what was really cool is not only did I pick up stuff with the U-Haul, um, but uh, our friends uh, and neighbors, Calvin and Tyrone, um, came out and helped me because I didn't have any way of unloading all this stuff by myself. And they actually came out um, and helped me unload a lot of the things into the garage. And then our fr- my friend Aaron actually came and some random guy was walking down the alley and he helped. Uh, and so it was a great moment of community as we loaded this kitchen into a garage. Uh, and then I also got to talk to the U-Haul manager and we had a really great conversation and she prayed for me and I prayed for her. So really cool stuff was happening. So look, time passes, um, and so much time has passed in all this that I had been looking to potential contractors um, through some connections, and all of them got booked, and I lost all of them, and I was heartbroken, especially because I needed a general contractor, somebody who could run the whole thing and and know exactly what needed to happen and then could outsource the stuff that they needed to because there is no way I could do that. Um we run into a lot of issues with the appraisal. It keeps on getting um, delayed because it's such a unique house and they just don't have many houses to compare it to. And there's so many different issues with it that it just takes weeks and weeks and weeks. And uh, <laughs> it takes so long that they end up having to get to another appraiser to go in and do a second walkthrough of it. The seller, uh, Mrs. Barnes starts to get a little worried. She's she's saying um, to her real estate agent, I've never heard of an appraisal taking so long. I'm tired of waiting. I want them to make a decision by Thursday, which was going to be the next day. And so like we could end up like the deal could be dead again before the appraisal even comes in. Um, we find out that the seller is thinking something her friends are telling her that something fishy is going on. Which are like, no, we, we can't control this. <laughs> Second appraiser goes out. Um, and, and it comes back and look, here's the deal. We were kind of counting on the appraisal to be on point for them to walk through and say, oh yeah, no, this house is definitely not worth what they're saying it's worth. It's got all these issues and this, that, and the other. So we were a little, uh, wounded (laughs) when it comes back and it is unexpectedly high. And the big reason for that is that they did not do a thorough look through. They did not incorporate the electrical issues, the plumbing issues, and a lot of the other issues. Um, What they said in the report was something to the effect of, oh, it's in pretty good shape. The kitchen just needs a little work. So we lost our leverage. That was our last bit of leverage that we could have said, look, the appraisal came back really low, so you need to lower your price. So we now have to decide if we are willing to pay more than we know that the house is worth. Meanwhile, our friend Clay comes through in a big way. Um, Clay 
Oh man, did so much research and helped us in some big ways around uh, checking the soil for lead. So here's the deal. Um, lead is, is a really big issue and particularly in older houses and older neighborhoods. Uh, back in the day, um, the combination of lead paint and leaded gasoline uh, could mean that homes um, that had been painted with lead paint and that were near roads with a lot of traffic could have lead um, not just in the home, but in the soil. Uh, the, the paint chips would fall off, the lead would leach into the soil, and that lead does not just disappear. So Clay gets some testing done. He calls me up, and it's bad. So in Virginia, for anything above 270, I know that m number doesn't mean much to you, but I'm just going to throw them out there. Anything above 270 um, means that there is a recommendation that there is remediation. Uh, remediation could mean removing the soil, could mean putting something on top of the soil. So in Virginia, it's 270, and for the EPA, it's 400. Okay, 270, 400. Our part of the yard came in at 396. The backyard came in at 478. And drumroll, please, the front yard came in at 1,480. So the problem was the way things stood, uh, there, the seller wasn't required to do anything. And based on Clay's research, the remediation could cost anywhere from fifty dollars to $150,000. So now, on top of the house being overpriced, the renovations potentially being fifty dollars to $100,000, now we're looking at the possibility that dealing with the lead in the soil could be fifty dollars to $150,000. And, and here's the problem with lead in the soil. What happens is the young, younger the kids are, the more dangerous that is to them. If they ingest it, if you've got kids that eat dirt and they go out and get that dirt in their mouth, um, over time, that could cause um, high levels of lead in their blood. And there are impacts of that that you, you can't come back from. So this is a big deal, especially because we were wanting to open our home to the community. We wanted to have kids playing in the yard. So we didn't want know what to do. I, I started doing a lot of research, and it is just disheartening. And I'm, and I'm starting to feel the pressure, y'all. Um, I'm mentally exhausted over all the research I've done and over just the... The sheer burden of the fact that we've got a house that is overpriced, renovations that are just unattainable, possibility of dry cleaner chemicals in the yard and lead in the soil. And I realize I've got to double down on my prayers. And, and Doug Paul had actually been teaching us how to work through praying through something, utilizing the Lord's Prayer. And so I start stopping on my way to work to do that with the house. So in February 17th, I actually finally reveal to Facebook the crazy prayer thing. You know, I tell people, this is what you've been praying for. And immediately I get a call from Allison uh, where she shares that Miss Barnes is just in no way going to make any adjustments and they need us to make a decision. Um, <laughs> and so I actually end up calling the real estate agent and I invite her and Miss Barnes to pray and, and I share with her. We understand it's a hard situation. We know Ms. Barnes has some debts. Um, you know, on our end, we really want to make this work, but there's these insurmountable obstacles. And so can we, you want a decision by Monday. Let's all commit to praying through the weekend. There were so many different roadblocks in the way of them getting the house. And every time I was like, okay, like this isn't coming to get like, I don't know, like I'm not like the word, it's only like half of that vision that, that we're still seeing here, even for, for Anna and I. And I think for a lot of times, I 
deep down, like, well, I, I feel like God gave me this, this prophetic word, but I didn't want to, like, name that because it could mean that I could be wrong. Um, and I was really just inspired by, by my wife and by um, Paul, who, like, just kept naming, like, no, like, we think God's calling us here, like, it's going to happen. And it's one of those things where I just, like, it's not, like, it's not going to happen. Sorry. Like, it's not, it's gonna happen. This isn't going to happen. Um, and then just, like, slowly, at least from my perspective, like, things just, like, God's just kept, like, you know, chipping away at this, uh, you know, this wall that was in, in front of um, this idea of a house. And I felt a lot like Peter in the fact, in this idea that I didn't want to name out loud that, like, this could happen because I meant I could be wrong. So in my, in my, in my heart, I was like, yeah, like, I really think this is going to happen. Like, I felt like God had moved in that moment. Like, I've written it down and it doesn't happen. And I think I wrote it down because God wanted me to be able to look back and, and share and yes. share that and, and see that memory. But out loud, like I didn't want to say that because I meant I could be wrong. And so I really identify with, with Peter and what Willis was saying about like God just being so patient with me and like not wanting to name this this doubt that I had. Um, and even in some ways kind of just saying that I didn't believe, right? In the, in the same way that Peter says that he doesn't know Christ. The next night, we find ourselves at an event that is honoring Percy and Angie Strickland. Percy and Angie Strickland moved into the Churchill community back in 2001. And they moved there for a number of reasons, but, but one of the top reasons was because they had been convicted on what it means to love your neighbor. And they felt like God was positioning them in Churchill because they were going to have opportunities and it was also going to take intentionality for them to be able to love their neighbors. So here we were at an event 16 years later that was celebrating the fact that that step of obedience led to a multi-million dollar organization that had multiple mentoring sites, it had a preschool, it had a high school, it had a work leadership program. And everyone was just celebrating the Stricklands and what they had accomplished. Percy gets up at the end and he looks at everyone and he says, you are giving us way too much credit. We didn't do anything. God did it. We just came in trying to love our neighbors. We would have been excited if one teenager graduated. So everything you're seeing is not because of anything we did. We weren't trying to run any kind of programs. We just wanted to take a simple step of obedience and let God do what he was going to do. So the Strickland story of obedience and sacrifice resonated with us. The fact that there were houses plastered in all the decorations around the building didn't escape our attention. And when Becca and I walked out of that Robinson Theater and walked to the car, we looked at each other and we didn't have to say anything. We just knew. And we just said, we're getting this house, aren't we? And on February 20th, we locked it in. We said, here we go. We said, here we go, knowing that we could barely make buying the house work, but we were going to be easily at least $35,000 short on renovation funds. And those that wasn't even for the fun stuff. That was for the electrics and the plumbing. We were saying yes because God pushed us to say yes, knowing that there was no way we could renovate that house and make it safe for us and our kids. But we knew God can make a way. A few days later, I talked to my friend Chris Lee, and he was really excited about it. And he actually shared a few stories of how he had seen God work in similar ways. And then he also shared a story where he was walking with his friend Andrew Caleb, and they were talking about the house. 
And he said something to the effect of, the only way this house will sell, because again, it had been on the market for years, the only way this house will sell is that God is going to send someone to buy it. And he didn't know it was going to be us, but he was excited that it was. So many other things happen. Uh, we, I, I spent some time talking to the Department of Environmental Quality, and they gave me some ideas of how we could work through um, dealing with the lead and protecting the kids that wouldn't uh, bankrupt us. Uh, I talked to some old neighbors and find out that the dry cleaners didn't do any dry cleaning on site and that they actually outsourced it, which meant that there were no chemicals in the ground, which was a huge, huge blessing to learn. Um, and in talking to neighbors, I actually learned some amazing stories about the house. So all this leads up to March 15th. And here's the comedy of God. If you had asked me prior to that, hey, Paul, God's going to have you close on a house. Can you pick the one day in the year that would be the worst possible day for that to happen? I wouldn't even have to think about it. Oh, I'd say, oh, oh, I know. It would be the dead center of the hardest point, the most busy point of, of my work, which was uh, I used to run this thing called Spring Break Immersion Weeks where for four to five weeks, I would bring in four to six groups of college students. So we're talking like 80 to 100 people at times um, over the course of the month. And uh, sometimes I'm running it six days a week and I'm like on call all of that time. And I'm running training sessions and I'm running speakers and I'm running projects. So it's a very, very busy and taxing time. I would decide that the worst possible day to close on a house would be the dead center of that. So guess when I closed? March 15th, the dead center of spring break immersion weeks, we closed on the house, we grabbed the keys, and we had now this house that was impossible. This house that we hadn't even planned to pursue. This house that I didn't even want to pursue. That is the craziness of God. Uh, what were elements, you know, had to be God. Um, I would say this was a trip. It could have become very contentious. Uh, there were two parties, buyer and seller, who were in very different places and had very different expectations. Uh, so it was neat to see how God worked behind the scenes to bring about an agreement, uh, a deal, as we like to say in real estate. Uh, there were certainly moments of frustration, but no one walked away. Everyone stayed at the table and was committed to finding a pathway forward when we hit obstacles. And as God often does, uh, that wasn't the end of the story. Getting the house wasn't ever the point, but it also getting it wasn't where things stopped. We still had to do renovations and we were still tens of thousands at least short, but God had already shown that he could do the impossible and a number of things happened. When I talked to the person at the Department of Environmental Quality, he gave me this formula. Uh, he said the risk is uh, actually equal to the toxicity plus the accessibility. So if you take care of one of those two things, you're good. The toxicity would mean like taking all the, the lead out of the soil, which would be uh, excavation, which is fifty dollars to $150,000, or leaching it out through planting crops for several years. Neither of those were options. Um, so then we tried to tackle the accessibility piece. He said that if you uh, can cover over it, limit access to it, then you're fine. This came about a number of ways. One, um, some friends suggested that we start a GoFundMe page. We did. And through that, we were able to create a play set in the front yard. 
By the way, this was a vision of Becca's um, a long time before that she was really excited about. Instead of having our play set in the backyard, she wanted to have it in the front so it was invitational, so that we could get to know neighbors through it, um, so that it, it told our community that, hey, we are here and we are part of it. Um, in a community like ours, uh, there is often conversation around front porch culture versus back porch culture. And not that either is right or wrong, but they communicate different things. Back porch culture is, is more, I, I'm, I need my space. Um, I need to relax for me. And front porch culture is I'm available to my neighbors. Um, and there's a time and place for each, but we wanted to overly communicate that we were here for the community. And so through those funds, we were able to cover over the lead in the front yard significantly while also creating a really invitational space. Another thing that happened is my car got totaled, <laughs> which was not a great thing. Um, but instead of uh, buying a new car with the payout, uh, we were actually able to use that to uh, later on in the year um, get uh, concrete poured over the backyard um, and not only make that space safe, but also create a, a space where we could entertain the community, where I could do fire pits. Another thing happened is a friend of mine from high school, Kate, who is with Colesville Nursery, shout out to Colesville Nursery, and this is the second commercial of the Where Did You See God podcast. If you are looking for any landscaping uh, if you have any needs for flowers or trees, you need to contact Colesville Nursery because they are just amazing. They have so much on site for you to choose from. Uh, I mean, you need a golf cart to go through all of what they have to offer. But they are also just a loving and caring staff. And Kate loved um, what, uh, what we were hoping to do at the home, how God was working through it. And so she reached out to say that she wanted to do some landscaping and provide some trees. And so I'm actually looking out my window right now at some bushes and a tree that they came out and they planted and it was such a blessing and again that took care of some of the lead in the soil so a lot of things are happening uh and i had mentioned earlier that i was not able to find um, a general contractor and it finally came to the point where we needed to start working on the house if we were going to move in um, in time for um, the pains to be able to start renting from us which by the way we landed on them renting from us, and it was amazing how that came together. For a lot of reasons, it was a stressful season. It was a stressful season at work. It was a stressful season personally just because of a few things, and I, I was struggling. And <laughs> man, I'm going to give my third commercial here. God provided um, the gift of a plumber and electrician through uh, Sarah Hale, who is with Urban Hope. If you don't know about Urban Hope, you need to look into them. They provide affordable housing for the East End of Richmond. But she said, hey... You should contact Cesar Marin because he is just an amazing man and he does great work, but he is also someone that you can trust. Y'all, Cesar was a gift in my life because I had no idea what needed to happen with the electrical and plumbing. And I am a very frugal person. So the thought of spending thousands of dollars was hard for me. The thought of having to be responsible for deciding what did or didn't need to happen was just frightening for me. And Cesar oh, just was such a blessing in my life. Um, he basically lived at our house for I don't even know how long, weeks, months. I would drive by at like 10 p.m. and I saw the lights on. I mean, we just gave him a key and could trust him. And, and he did amazing work. And he looked out for us. And he made sure we knew about things that needed to happen. He didn't push anything that shouldn't happen. And he made sure to do it at a, a rate that was fair and accessible. So... His company is called The Excellence, and you can reach him at 
3545. So if you have any electrical, plumbing, or basically he can do a lot of stuff. If you need anything, call Cesar. He it was just a, just a gift and a blessing to my life. And let's go ahead and do another commercial for Old House Authority LLC. Um, I mentioned before that our house has a lot of windows. And here's the problem. Those of you that have ever been in an old house or been through a renovation know that old windows are beautiful and they are also not efficient. Um, and that was the case for ours. Uh, the windows had a number of issues, but more importantly, they were all like they wouldn't open. None of the windows in the house actually opened. Uh, they had been painted shut, screwed shut. And I had been connected with this guy named Dixon Kerr um, through uh, just a mutual friend. And he came out and he was just going to look at the windows. And then he started just working on them. And I remember after he left or was about to leave, I asked, so how much do I owe you? And he said, oh, no, no, no. I'm just doing this in my spare time. I love what you're doing here. I love your vision and mission for the house. So, you know, I just want to kind of serve you. And he came out several times and ended up getting a lot of our windows operable again. So shout out to Dixon Kerr. And I also have to mention Samuel Jensen with the Remodeler LLC. Um, I mentioned that we had gotten a kitchen for free after uh, Rob and Kathy did a remodeling job in their house. The thing is, it's one thing to get a free kitchen. It's another thing to install it. And the problem is, is that that kitchen was designed for a very specific space. And there's no promise that it would fit well in our space. Um, the floors might not be in, even in the same way. The walls not might not be straight in the same way. And so many contractors don't want to take on that kind of job because it's too risky because the homeowner could get really mad. Oh, it doesn't look like what it looked like in the other place. And they're like, well, that's because it wasn't built for this place. This is particularly an issue with granite countertop because you can't resize that granite. Um, and so Samuel Jensen actually came about in a random way. We had had some people pray for our house right after we closed. And our friend Sarah uh, had been there praying. And then she left and randomly went to uh, an urban farmhouse and randomly ran into uh, a mutual friend, Manny Pena, who randomly thought of this guy named Samuel Jensen with the Remodeler LLC and sent me the information. I don't know all this is happening, so I'm sitting at home and I get a text and Manny's number had gotten erased. So I got a text from a number I didn't know telling me to call this other guy. And I'm like, what is this? Finally, all came together and y'all, Samuel was a blessing. He came in, he understood the situation. When I told him, hey, look, if it doesn't look perfect, that's fine because this is tens of thousand dollars that we don't have to pay that we don't have anyway. Um, and I actually worked with him one day and, and putting some of the cabinets up and uh, y'all, he just did an amazing job and basically brought our kitchen to life. So as you can see, in the midst of what was a very, very stressful time for me, uh, both in work and personal life, and then in overseeing the renovation of a house, particularly being someone who doesn't know what needs to happen in a renovation, and two, someone who is very frugal, God provided these gifts, these very real and beautiful gifts. And actually, let me take it a step further. Uh, I created a spreadsheet um, a while back to kind of estimate what we might be looking at for renovations. And I had three columns. I had the actual column for when things were done, and I could track that. Um, I had an ideal column, everything that we would hope to do and want to do, what that would come to, and then I had the realistic column, what we could functionally get away with doing. Y'all, the ideal column was just under $100,000. We didn't have that. The realistic column was 
we didn't have that. And look, uh, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know. I don't know how, other than a miracle, how this happened. But not only did we take care of everything that we needed to, the required safety things like electrical and plumbing, but we also able to get the house painted, um, which was important because of the lead paint on the walls. We were able to get the floors refinished, which was important because there are splinters everywhere. <laughs> yeah, we were able to do this and not go bankrupt, not deplete our savings. I do not know functionally how that is even possible other than the power of God. God provided a way for us to be able to move into this house on time and for it to be safe for our kids, but also to feel like home. And let me emphasize that piece right there. Before we moved, Becca and I looked at each other and we thought, this house we're in right now feels like home. How long is it going to take for this new house to feel like home? You want to know how long it took? No time. It was immediate. The first day we were in that home, it felt like home. And when we went to visit the Paines at their house, their new house, like it didn't feel like that awkward, oh, this used to be our place. It felt like it was the Paines home. It was, it was a real gift. Y'all, God worked in some really amazing ways. And, and I've, it took two episodes to get here, right? Uh, and that wasn't even everything. I skipped so much of what God had done because that's how God works. Man, he is so into the beautiful details and the complexities and, and in ways that we may never actually see. And that's, it's just his beautiful way of showing off his power is he doesn't need us to recognize it. He just does it because he is just so good and so powerful. Um, and so I'm really thankful for Paul and, and Becca and for, for Anna, just that they were, were strong in their faith. I know there were moments where it was frustrating too that we talked about, but seeing people um, who were just like, no, like God was calling us to do this and we're just going to push in um, really in, grew me a lot in my faith. And so obviously like we now live in the Granger's house and uh, praise God for that. Yeah, it's <laughs> one of those crazy things. The Granger's are there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. there. When they come by, uh, yeah. and I just, I just want to name like how good God has been in this entire situation. Like all that that y'all been through this past year. Like there was also our story kind of going on after, like under that. And then there's you know people who have been joined our house church, and then it's been we've been able to meet in our, our new house, and some of the new neighbors that we've met, and just because of different things that like where Anna's schedules might be different than the Grangers, we're able to interact with some neighbors that maybe they wouldn't have been able to interact with, and. It's, it's just been so crazy, like, how God, good God is and all that. For me, it was neat to see how God could use me as a realtor to carry out his purposes by simply just staying in the game and setting my own expectations aside and seeing where the process would take us. And looking back now, this was really a season of learning a lot about patience and obedience, not only in my professional life, but also in my personal life. I think I'm it's quicker to notice God working through other people in their professional lives, uh, no matter what that profession might be, small jobs, big jobs, or uh, whatever the profession might be. So I mentioned that this episode, or what has become two episodes, um, was really important. And I didn't know if it would be important for you, the listener, but I knew it would be important for me. And I didn't quite know how. I knew God wanted me to press into remembering how he worked remembering how he did the impossible, remembering how he was God and good. What I didn't expect is how he would work through Mary Thompson in just a really beautiful way to kind of just bring it all home. And so 
like I said, my eyes was were on the prize and never doubted. I didn't know how it would be, come to fruition, but I knew with God, and I firmly believe with him all things are possible. We just have to wait. You know, we are in this quick rise community and social life and so forth that we want everything to be at the present, but it won't happen like that. And I think by having to wait like that, your faith is tested because if we go back and read the stories of Abraham and the other patriarchs, things didn't happen overnight, but they just trust God. And that's what we have to do, trust God. And uh, I woke up this morning, and the scripture that he brought to my mind, and I said, Lord, well, I need to know what that scripture is. And, it, and I found it when I started doing my meditation was Psalm 37, 25. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I was young once, and that's true. Mm-hmm. Now I am old, that's true. What he said, the righteous have never been forsaken, and nor his seed begging for bread. And I can truly say that is really, that's true. That's his word, that's his promise, and that's true. And all we have to do, we need to start living by his word. I think sometimes we we say God is good and good all the time, but do do we truly trust that? And if you believe that, are you willing to, like you say, wait on the house or wait on whatever happens in your lives? And all of that, all of what's going on in our world today, we don't let that just kind of cause us to go into our shells, go into ourselves. And just don't believe. I can't do that because I know all of this is happening for a reason and in due time. Mm-hmm. God's going to bring it to pass. We'll see it. Mm-hmm. And those who remain faithful, they'll see it. Mm-hmm. Those who trust in the Lord, what he say, in all thy ways mm-hmm. and lean not to your own understanding. He's going to bring it to pass mm-hmm. and we shall see it. And we're going to rejoice because we waited. Well, I appreciate just being able to sit down with you. And I don't know if you heard me laugh when you said the, the scripture, <laughs> but I had to laugh because God's funny sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And so there's a few things. Uh, you know, I was when I was standing on your porch and uh-huh. I first came and I rang the doorbell and like, I just, I wasn't, I just wasn't in the mood today to okay. do much of anything. Mm-hmm. It's been a hard season and I was, and I just... I had woke up just feeling, just kind of, just feeling low, mm-hmm. right? And and yet I've been feeling this nudge to, uh, to talk with you, to talk with Allison, the, the real estate agent for us, okay. uh, to go into this story of the house because I knew that that was a gift God had given me of showing me how He has worked in the mm-hmm. past and how He can, like you said, mm-hmm. how He's going to work in the future. Yeah. And and I had a sense that engaging this. <laughs> would be that reminder, that encouragement, that challenge. And so when you said the scripture, you're like, there's a scripture I had this morning. I was like, 
Oh man, it's gonna be it's gonna be one of the scriptures I've been looking at, and it was the was scripture, the Psalm thirty-seven. I've spent the last two weeks in that passage, yeah. and it was almost like God is comically saying, "Paul, are you listening to me? I'm gonna put this scripture in front of you again." Yeah. Yeah. And even the part that you referenced, um, you know, I was spending some time in and First Corinthians thirteen, the, yeah. you know, the classic love passage, yeah, but it talks about it. how. You know, mm-hmm. when I was a child, yeah. I thought like a child, I spoke like a child, yeah. I reasoned like a child. Mm-hmm. But when I became a man, I put It'll those put childish ways behind me. And it made me like the thing that stood out to me was it's it's not it wasn't a passive thing. Like once I got older, then I stopped thinking like that. Mm-hmm. It was when I got older, I had to choose to put those childish ways of thinking and reasoning behind. And I felt like God's been pushing me into this place of spiritual maturity to say, Paul, I know how the world thinks and how the world works and how it's mm-hmm. pressuring you to think and work in the same way. Yeah. I don't think and work like that. No, you you know, my wisdom it. is mm-hmm. foolishness to man. So uh-huh. you need to choose to put that behind and trust me. Mm-hmm. And so I really appreciate like God is, I want you to know God is speaking through you today to me to remind me Isn't to stay wonderful? and trust. Isn't and, he wonderful? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about that song with, uh, <clears throat> Well, I was thinking about that passage of scripture, you know, I was young, but now I'm old. And then I said, God, where, where do I find that? And he brought it right on to me, Psalm 37. And then after I began to read Psalm 37, if people want hope, that's a good psalm to read. Because, I mean, it's, it speaks about all of what's happening yeah. in our life today. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and let them, they're going to flourish and as you we look at it and say, oh, but they're doing everything and they are flourishing and they getting over. No, they're not getting over with God because I think it's somewhere in that song where God even laughed at them. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you go looking for them, you will not even find yeah. them. They won't be no yeah. more. And so if if we don't do no, nothing but hold on to one thing, and just let and it, it just read that psalm over and over and over. You will walk, you will run, dance through the streets, shouting praise to the one. You're healed, you're clean. Go out, tell the people what you've seen. Revived in Him, new life in Him. So that's the story of the crazy prayer thing. The time that God told us to enter the process, but didn't promise to give us anything as a result. The time when God did the impossible and ended up giving us more, abundantly more than anything we could have thought or asked. But (laughs) God wasn't done. He had actually started this story years before I even knew it. I don't know when this was, but there was a point well after we had moved into the house that I happened to come across a note that I had written on March 16th of 2014. And I just want to remind you that March 16th, 2017 was our first full day owning the house. So I came to learn that three years to the day before we owned this house, God had been at work and I wrote this note. Last week I saw a picture of an old farmhouse some friends had just purchased. Beautiful, huge, two-story home with an amazing back porch overlooking acres of farmland. It was hard to look at. In the past year, I've had several friends move from our neighborhood into the suburbs or the country, and it's been difficult. 
First, to have them no longer just minutes away means a far greater level of intentionality if I want to grow the relationships. Second, it's easy to envy their homes. I grew up in the country in a nice-sized home. Before I knew God had called me to the city, there were things I expected to have for my family in regards to our home. I grew up running through the woods, imagining adventures. My children would have that same freedom. I love the idea of creating unique play spaces. I planned on building a secret entrance to a playroom or converting a smaller space into a fort for the kids. I love nature and the quiet of country. I would have a back porch where the family could just relax and enjoy the quiet. My home, the home I've been in for five years and plan to remain in for much longer, has none of these things. I grew up on 10 acres, but my son has less than a tenth of an acre of a yard to explore. Our home, though great in size, leaves nothing for a secret playroom. Our tiny back porch overlooks an alley, a street, and the dingy wall of a vacant building. I saw in that picture the things I couldn't have for myself or my family because God called me to the city. I happened to see the picture, by the way, after sharing a message to my interns on Jesus' words, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies. You know, we accept the concept that we must die to things, but there are plenty of things we hope don't fall into the mix. I had accepted the limitations of my home joyfully five years ago, but now that I have a son, I realize those limitations no longer simply impact me. Yet, that passage does not simply call us to die and leave it at that. That's not how Jesus rolls. Jesus doesn't want us to be sad. He doesn't want us to be limited. It's just the opposite. He wants to protect us from the superficial. Sure, the grain that doesn't die gets to live, but to what purpose? For how long? The grain that dies, however, bears much fruit. I could move to the country, but I know without a doubt that God has called me to Churchill. Therefore, in order to follow him, I must be willing to die to the things I want, trusting that what he has in store will far surpass anything I could craft. And here's the hilarious thing. I wrote that in 2014, and three years later, God did just that. He far surpassed anything I could have crafted. And I don't want you to miss the point of this. The point of this is not that if you pray, God will give you a house, because it is a luxury for us to have a house. We have neighbors that are wrestling with housing right now. So I do not underestimate what a luxury and what a gift having this house is, which is why we are so deeply committed to giving this house back to God and to the community. But us getting a house was not the point, because remember, the prayer at the beginning of all this was that God had called us (laughs) to press into the process, but to know that he wasn't promising to give us anything. And that is the point. Y'all, look, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus said it. In this world, there will be hard things. But so often, the reason that we struggle, the reason that we have pain is because we are longing for or chasing after something God had never told us to long for or chase after. We spend so much of our energy pursuing things instead of pursuing the king. And so I hope you hear in this uh, a few things. One, God is real, y'all. God is God and God is good. He is working and moving. I want you to hear that he is doing things that are far more intricate, far more involved than anything we could understand. Because God was working on this story years before I even knew he was, both in that letter that I wrote, but also in Miss Thompson praying for like a decade for this house to be for the community. God is working in intricacies in the fact that he brought uh, Daniel Payne 
into the story and he and his wife had their own story that God was doing that coincided with ours. But in all this, the end result wasn't a house. It was that I grew in what it meant to follow God and to trust God, to get to those lowest points where it seemed like the army was advancing. It seemed like there was no hope and to trust that God could still thunder. And to see the love and grace of God that as I am now in this current season, he called my mind and heart back to this story so that I could claim what he taught me then, that God is God, that God is good, and that God can do the impossible. Because the wisdom of God is foolishness to me. And even if I don't understand things, doesn't mean that God isn't at work. So I just want to encourage you today. There may be things that God's saying or doing that are important and that he wants you to catch. When I wrote that letter, March 16th of 2014, I had no idea how much of a God moment that was. I just thought it was a great revelation. I had no idea how important that letter was. And so there may be a story that God's given you now that doesn't seem all that important, but God may use it. So, hey, write it down. Tell someone. Tell me, because I'm always looking for stories. But whatever you do, listen for those stories. Look for God to work. Ask yourself, where did you see God? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, Uh, Think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?